Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juicing the Numbers, your statistics and sports podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Trayson. And I'm Ian Miller. And we did it, folks. We got back to Mondays. We're back on doing Mondays. Monday podcast. Here we are. It's been a while. Um, I, I don't even know what to comment on that. Just, yeah, that sounds like the whole show. Uh, well, anyway, since uh, since we have a week in between football stuff, because, you know, again, championship games were last week, uh, Super Bowl is next week, so there's nothing happening this week other than the Pro Bowl, which who fucking cares about the Pro Bowl? We figured it's time to catch up on baseball stuff. And it's been so long since we've really had the chance to do that that we haven't even talked about the Hall of Fame voting that happened a few weeks ago. And it was uh, eventful and uneventful, if that makes sense. A lot of conversation around how the voting shook out, but with not a lot of inductees. So, uh, Corbin, you ready to dig into it a little bit? Yeah, sure. Why not? Why not, folks? Uh, Well, there's only one guy who actually made it. And that is actually an improvement over last year in which nobody got in last year on the regular, regular ballot. And that one guy is uh, David Ortiz. Uh, David Ortiz got in on his first appearance on the ballot with 77.9% of votes. He, uh, his career numbers are for his, um, his case, 20 years in MLB, 20, uh, 55.3 career war. Uh, he had a lifetime slash line of 286, 380, 552. It's an OPS of 931 and an OPS plus of 141. Uh, and career home runs 541. I'm not sure if I said that number already, but whatever. Uh, he was the only guy who made it. You have to cross 75% of the voter threshold to make it in. He's the only guy who did it. And it's been an interesting discourse around him leaving all the other guys we have to discuss to the side for a moment, because for one 55 war is not a lot of war. When we're considering the hall of fame, the minimum threshold is considered 60. So 55 isn't like, it's horribly off base from that. But if we're considering these little, like kind of, I guess, unwritten rules of hall of fame voting, usually 60 is, is that threshold. But the reason he didn't get to 60 theoretically anyway, is he's a DH and you don't accumulate, any DWAR for being a DH because you are not well fielding. So well, don't most people not accumulate positive DWAR? It it depends. A lot of people end up getting hampered by it rather than getting bolstered by it. But uh, let's take a look at one of the other guys on this list. Let's look at Scott Rowland, who was um, did not make it this year. Finished uh, got the fourth most votes for the hall of fame voting this year, but did not end up actually uh, cashing in. Let's see advanced player value batting. He finished his career with uh, 21 D war. And again, that's part of what kind of makes a hall of famer. You either have to be so astonishingly good at hitting that it just outweighs your, your, your shitty defense by a uh, metric fuck ton. A la dark cheater. Or I'm being serious. I mean, we all see Derek. Jeter. It's like negative 20 D war. Like it's pathetic. If Derek he Jeter, jumps when he throws. 
I know it's very it's very fancy. But basically, if Derek Jeter took the took the David Ortiz route and just didn't play shortstop, he would have finished his career with like 90 war. So it's a huge difference in where he finished with only like 77 or whatever. Uh, but, you know, that a lot of the guys who end up actually making the Hall of Fame tend to have relatively decent, if not good DWARs because, and again, DWAR is not a perfect metric. We know that we treated it very conversationally on the show um, because that that's usually what dignifies a Hall of Famer. So, or is, is a, a metric within, I don't know, the aura, the oeuvre of a Hall of Famer, but whatever. So, Corbin, let me, uh, I don't know really where the best place to start is with Mr. Ortiz. There's a lot to cover on, on this one because of some implications. Uh, but what's your first impression on David Ortiz being a first ballot guy? Um, if his nickname was Small Poppy, I would have been against it. His name is Big Poppy. I mean, look, the, the steroids aside, I know we'll get into it. Right. He had a career deserving of the Hall of Fame. He should be in the Hall of Fame. Nothing against him being voted into the Hall of Fame. Um, really, I think my only issue with him getting in is who didn't get in in the same year with the same extracurriculars. Um, but again, that's, that's a later conversation. Uh, David Ortiz played 2,408 games as a batter. How many appearances do you think he had on the diamond as a fielder? This isn't me like knocking David Ortiz. This is just a fun fact. 2,400 oh. games as a batter. How many, how many games did he actually field? Oh, uh, Twenty-four hundred games. Uh, I'll say like two hundred. Close, two hundred and seventy-eight. All of which were at first base. Yeah, I know he started at first base. I just, I couldn't tell you if I've ever seen David Ortiz play. First base. That's the thing. Saying started at first base is is pretty suspect because the most games he ever had at first base was seventy, and then that number doesn't go over fifty a single time in his career. So he had 70 games. He had 11 games at first base his first year in the league, but he played 11 games. So it's like, ah, that makes sense. And then in 98, he played in uh, 86 games and they only had him at first base, 70 games. But it's like, ah, you know, that's close enough. Like, you know, you're, we have a DH, we're going to use it. Uh, And then he just like never played first base again. (laughs) Yeah, like at all. In fact, he has, in 2008, he played in 109 games and never played first. Every other year, he has at least one random appearance at first base. 2008, he was like, "I'm my ass is on the bench. I am not going out unless it is to smack home runs. Everything else, you can find my ass on the bench. And in 2008, let's look at, look at his batting stats that year. Yeah, it was a decent year. It was, a, I guess, like a down year for Ortiz, but a really good year for everybody else. Slash line 264, 369, 507, OPS of 877, OPS plus of 124. Was an all-star. Can't argue with science. No, science is an inarguable science. Fuck you. Um, is, because I think I agree. And this is always one of those debates where it's like, oh, fuck, man, does it matter? Um, But the concept of being a first ballot guy versus a later ballot guy, 
Like, does that matter to you? Because at the end of the day, they all become Hall of Famers. So it, it really in the long run, it doesn't matter. But does that matter to you at all? It matters to how I perceive the voters, not the person being voted for. Like, in my mind, uh, who's somebody coming up for the Hall of Fame soon? I can um, tell you. I have 2023's ballot right here. for Sure. Give me, give me a name that should be a, a first ballot Hall of Famer. Ooh, a first ballot from this group. Um, or like a, a undoubtable, you know, Hall of Famer. Okay, so actually, year. next year, next year's ballot's pretty shitty. Uh, right, oh, fuck it. Ooh, Car- Carlos Beltran. If you took away everything else, because he does have seventy right. Sure, so, Carlos, Carlos Beltran. Beltran. Outside of you know all of the stuff outside of baseball or outside of the field, not on the field. Fuck it, whatever. You know. I know what you mean. He should be in the Hall of Fame, no question. If ooh. he gets voted in first ballot. No problem. In two okay, years, Adrian Beltre, 93 war. There you go. Adrian Beltre, even better. Everyone loves that man. Yeah. If he gets in first ballot, oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, Adrian Beltre, surefire Hall of Famer, no issue whatsoever. If he doesn't get voted in the first time because, you know, people want to vote for other guys who want to get in, who deserve to be in. Yeah, absolutely. Go, you know, go vote for them. That's totally fine. If somebody's not voting for him to be in the Hall of Fame because, well, I don't think he should be notable as a first ballot Hall of Famer. I don't think he deserves that. I don't want him to get it yet. Next year, two years, three years, I'll vote for him, but not yet. Holy shit, pull your head out of your own ass. Like, what are you doing here? Like, you have so little power compared to what you think you have. And it's just like the whole umpire syndrome of just, you think the game is about you and nobody thinks about you literally ever. Right. I I think that's a pretty fair assessment because there is a, an air about being a first ballot hall of famer, but I think you're right. It doesn't come from necessarily the player. It comes from the perception of the player from the voters, which is what makes it have that feeling. Because, you know, we oftentimes get these stories or uh, maybe suspicions of voter rationale where people get left off of ballots because I don't want them to be a first ballot guy. Not I don't want them to be in the Hall of Fame. I don't want them to be a first ballot guy, which I think yeah flies right into what you're saying. Because um, it's like the guy that left Jeter off his ballot or, you know, the guy, the multitude of people who left guys like, Ken Griffey Jr. off their ballot. Like, how do you how do you leave the kid off your ballot? Like, that makes no fucking but whatever. Um, it's also weird to refer to Ken Griffey Jr. as the kid when he is old, so much older than me. <laughs> He's like my dad's age. I think I think he is our dad's age. Yeah, yeah, it's weird as shit. It's like your nickname's the kid, sir. <laughs> sir, <laughs> sir, the kid. The kid has a kid who at this point probably has also had a kid. No, Ken Griffey Jr. There's no way Ken Griffey Jr. is a grandfather. What's Ken Griffey Jr.? 50-something? Ken Griffey Jr. is 52, so it's a little bit younger than our dads. I'm Um, saying he is capable of being a grandfather at 52 years old. Hold on. Ken Griffey Jr. has three kids. Uh, This is getting so weird. Yo, his oldest kid is older than us. 
See? Damn, his oldest kid is 28. 28. Very That's likely they have, have a kid. kid. Yeah, Ted shit. Griffey Jr. has a kid who has a kid. Wait. Sold. He played for the is that the did he play for the Steelers? Ken Griffey Jr. No, Trey Griffey. Ken Griffey Jr. Oh, son. yeah, he, he was a wide receiver. Yeah. How did you not know that on deck? Uh, I did know that. I just uh, forgot. That's something I would never forget. He That's was, amazing. He's, he's been on our practice or he was on our practice squad for like three years. Um, yeah, he has no NFL stats. He, yeah, I don't think he ever got in during a game. He might have been active for a game or two. The last transaction on his page is he was signed to a reserve future contract, and that's it. So I guess maybe he's still on the practice squad, but whatever. Still, that's pretty cool. Anyway. No, not since 2019. Okay. Well, hey, shout to you. Making a practice squad in the NFL is still pretty fucking tough. Yeah, you're still making a good chunk of money. It's funny. He looks just like him. Senior. Junior. Junior. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> the Griffies, they're all molding. Uh, anyway, yeah, I, I don't give a shit that David Ortiz gets in on, on the first ballot because how can you care? And it, it's an interesting case because it's like, do you ping? We ping people in stuff like war counting because uh, of their defensive positioning. You know, you get less war for being a first baseman or a second baseman than you do for being a third baseman or a shortstop. You get less war for playing left field than you do center field. You and you also there. I believe there is a defensive uh, adjustment actually for DH, but I could be wrong. I don't really remember. It doesn't really matter. But we we do those things to approximate value when it comes to assembling a team, basically. Like if you're going to have um, someone hitting in the first base position, then their hitting really needs to outweigh how insignificant that defensive positioning is. Otherwise, you might want to end up swapping out a guy that has better defense but shittier batting because he's just the the batting is not compensating for the the shittiness of the defense. Like whatever, you know what I mean? Their uh, their contribution needs to needs to really be felt in order for you to kind of justify their positional uh, alignment. Or um, I guess even them being on the roster kind of depends. Really, it's being on the roster. You don't need to carry four first basemen because they all hit well. Uh, but does that matter when it comes to looking at Hall of Fame? But like, and this is kind of like the same question as bringing it back to MLB proposing using WAR for arbitration, which is what's the point of using WAR? Like, if we're going to use it for a hard and fast, like, or like a firm kind of thing for the dividing lines and hall of fame voting, that's not what it's necessarily meant for, you know, like I'm not sure war on its own can tell you that somebody is, or is not a hall of famer. If it takes into account things that are specifically not specifically meant to make that decision. And yeah, we have stuff like, like jaws that better defines hall of fame stats as compared to your counterparts, but it, it, it can be, tough because if you are an out of this world batter and your defense is mediocre but you play the defensively insignificant position so your war gets pinged for that reason like do we care you know what i mean yeah yeah so 
it, there's there's been discourse around whether a DH should make the Hall of Fame because David Ortiz is getting in, um, because you were uh, you you weren't good enough at being on the field, and that's half the game. And I think that's an interesting enough conversation, sure. But I think it also boils down to the fact that if we invented the position of DH, <clears throat> can you fault a man for playing it well? Yeah, it's like. People who only played special teams get in the Hall of Fame in football. They only play a tenth of the snaps as somebody else does. Are we arguing that they shouldn't get in the Hall of Fame because, you know, he's the all-time leading scorer in the NFL and all of that shit? Yeah, how many seconds, how many minutes of NFL playtime, like where the clock was running, do you think Adam Vinatieri has in his entire career? Probably less than a, yeah. Because you got to think, kickers usually come out with the clock stopped a lot, of, a lot yeah. of the time, especially in, in in late game situations. I would argue, Adam Vinatieri, time on the field is less than a full hour of game. I was going to say the same thing. Like I really would bet it's not very much, no. but he is a first ballot Hall of Famer, without question. Yeah, like like it's not even a doubt. Yeah, Adam Vinatieri, like there's not many kickers from when we started watching football to now who would even be arguable is more deserving. It's him and Justin Tucker. Yeah. Yeah, and and of Liss at this point. And uh, now it's going to be that kid from the Bengals. He's going. He's on his way. Evan McPherson. Evan, Evan McPherson. McPherson man. Quinn is obsessed with him, too. I'm not surprised. He's attractive and white. That seems like a pretty good, <laughs> pretty good qualifications. <laughs> um, so David Ortiz makes it. Now the other the other thing about the Ortiz stuff, and I really, uh, it's it's worthwhile having the conversations around all the reasons uh, David Ortiz has been a weirdly controversial pick. But we, I promise, we will also talk about the fact that David Ortiz is a deserving guy and not just marring his induct in induction with controversy but the other reason talk about it convection style convection style oh fuck you (laughs) i hated that wow that was awful i thought i misspoke and it was just a really shitty joke instead um no the other reason is david ortiz and this is part of the joy of discussing bud selig era (laughs) steroids testing is he was rumored or appeared on a list of failed drug test people in 2003. So in 2003, there was a, a list of names that Bud Selig had presented to him or collected. I don't fucking know nor care, really. Uh, the uh, People that were that were allegedly failed steroids tests. And nothing ever happened really with the names on that list. Like, I don't think David Ortiz ever served a, a, a suspension of any kind, but it was one of the first kind of steps in crafting what would become eventually the steroids policy, the steroid abuse policy. So what I think it was, uh, MLB basically wanted to have everyone take a test to see internally. Hey, is like steroids actually like a really serious problem that everyone uses. Um, and it wasn't meant to be made public in any capacity. So Seelig got this, you know, 
list of test results and then i think somebody just leaked it uh, and that's how we came to be with all of this drama uh yeah it looks like because that's the thing i always get a little bit um hazy on the details because hey guess what i don't i fuck i don't care um but i i think i i think it ties into the mitchell report which was actually done by congress because congress had nothing better to do at the time um apparently there was 104 players listed on the steroid list uh, again who 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 fuck cares but david ortiz is named no it, it's it's insignificant for for a, a number of reasons one as we've discussed on this podcast many times steroids was not against the rules <laughs> and and you you can sit there and say well, like well they shouldn't have done it anyway and it's like fuck fuck yourself like if you can gain a competitive advantage that's exactly what what you do every single sport or competition does that you're gonna tell me that the banker ain't slipping bills and monopoly when you play at your fucking family game table yeah they fucking are everybody cheats all the time don't lie to me do you follow the speed limit everywhere you go 55 mile an hour motherfucker like no jerry rice used to spray his hands down with adhesive before every game yeah it wasn't illegal when he did it he did it nobody is saying we should take him out of the hall of fame because of it yeah, I and mean, you know, you hear about players in like the 70s and 80s popping greenies or whatever the fuck those things used to be. I mean, it's it's like it's stupid. It's so dumb. The the concept of they shouldn't cheat because it's wrong. It's like I bet you wish you could cheat on your taxes if you could get away with it. <laughs> like don't even lie. So the fact that people were doing it before 2003, especially when it starts becoming Dexatrin. endemic of Dexatrin. That's what greenies were. Ah, uh, I don't know what that. That doesn't really clarify anything for me because I'm not a scientist. <laughs> I'm basically just trying to buy time until I can look it up. Oh, gotcha. it's uh, it's like Adderall. I, f- I figured. Yeah, I, I thought it was something yeah. speed related. Yeah. Um, but any, anywho, it. Fuck, I completely forgot where I was. Oh, it doesn't matter. The po- point being, the fact that people were doing it. And then seeing other people doing it and they, they were like, well, fuck, I can't not be doing it if everybody's doing it. And I look bad like that. That That is what it is. And if David Ortiz's name was was listed on this report, who fucking cares, man? Honestly, even after that, y- you got to give me a good. Oh, man, half a decade to a full decade to even start to beginning to care about steroids uh, suspensions. And even then, a lot of steroids suspend, not a lot, but uh, you get a, a decent number of steroid suspensions that are really the banned substance suspensions, which are drugs that uh, you aren't supposed to take without MLB clearance because they could be used to hide the use of steroids. Like that was what Robbie Cano's was a few years ago. It wasn't steroids that he got a half season suspension for, it was some like diuretic that his doctor back in the DR told him to take and he just didn't clear with MLB first. And it's like, are we going to count that as a steroid suspension? It's, it's largely asinine is, is really, I guess what I'm driving at. It's, it's, it's largely fucking pointless. And to that extent, I, I don't think it matters for a tease, but it is also a weird dividing line for 
voters the same way we were saying first ballot or non-first ballot like it doesn't matter for i'm sure corin or i um if we were going to assign our ballot to for for the hall of fame but it has become a weird dividing line for for voters because you look at ortiz who you know got in on the first ballot and you look at a lot of the other guys on this ballot who did not make it be it in their um whatever time up on the ballot it has been or they're you know falling off entirely on uh, due to being on for too long you know like alex rodriguez with over double the war of david ortiz didn't get in when david ortiz did now a rod actually has a steroid suspension because he made an ass of himself for like uh seven years but it's uh no and it whole whole new way now um but it, it's still like a, it's a weird as, as stupid as we've said the distinction is with steroids. It's like here. I'm going to put this way. David Ortiz, rumored to have done steroids, makes a Hall of Fame. Never failed a test. Barry Bonds, rumored to have done steroids. Fell off the ballot in 10 years. Never failed a test. A-Rod. Also not getting votes has a steroid suspension, but I don't believe he actually has a negative, a, a positive uh, steroids test in, in his past. I think it was just a lot of like the cover-up stuff that he was doing. Uh, he had a whole weird you. thing. I don't remember all the details at this point. Uh, did not get in the first, but had, had 40% less votes than, than David Ortiz. And uh, these are three, I don't want to say they're exactly the same, but they're three like close enough kind of things where it, it's weird how voters are making these choices. Because it is Again, largely fucking asinine how you want to divvy this up. It's if it was a 5% difference, 10% max. Okay, I could understand that because of there's always going to be differences in, you know, storylines and, and careers and everything like that. Like just because all of them have offensive numbers easily capable of making the hall of fame seeing as you know barry bonds has an insane amount of all-time records i could buy it the fact that it's 40 percent is unreal he's the one that tested positive i'm not saying you know oh they didn't test positive we don't know you know you can't hold that against them it's like no it is there's no one still saying they didn't do steroids Bonds, I think, admitted to doing them. I think Bonds insisted he didn't. I know A-Rod eventually said he did. I honestly, it's been... I don't give a shit. They all did it. (laughs) No, and... and and Whatever, it's not even worth it. Let's just... let's Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about, just briefly, David Ortiz, uh, now that he is officially a Hall of Famer. Um, With, fucking, uh, do you think he's gonna wear a twins hat on his bust? Uh, no, because he won't be able to decide, so he'll just go with the blank cap. Yeah, um, you know, there's a lot of Red Sox players that I, I truly grew to despise over the years. David Ortiz, not one of them, not one of them. always would, would, would root for his failure because you know that's what you got to do as an opposing as an opposing team fan, but always seemed like a nice guy. Never, he's one of those guys where it's like. 
he goes up to the plate and you're like, I fucking hope you strike out and, and it hurts your own feelings when you do it. And then he hits a home run. And as long as it's not a significant home run, you're like, all right, that was pretty fun. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like how I felt about Mookie Betts when he was on the Red Sox. It's like, you seem like a really nice guy and you're really, really good at this, but I also don't like the clothes you're wearing. So I'm, I'm going to tell you to go fuck yourself. That's how I felt about Ortiz for 20 I, uh... years. I cut out of the Zoom meeting and had to rejoin. And the only thing I heard was, I don't like the clothes you're wearing, so I'm going to root against you, which sums it up pretty well. It'd be very self-conscious about my very normal sweatshirt for about 10 seconds until I realized you were still just talking about Ortiz. Yeah. <laughs> I compared I compared him to, to, to Mookie Betts and how I felt about him. Uh, I don't think I ever hated Mookie. It was just kind of like, That's what I'm saying, yeah. Yeah. I never, I still don't hate Mookie, even though he's on the Dodgers. It's just like, yeah, I get it. I don't like the team you play for. I'm going to have to root against you. Go get traded to the Mariners, and you're one of the most lovable players in baseball again. Love that. Mookie on the Mariners would actually be super fucking fun. I know. I had never considered that that in my life, but, man, that actually would be a fucking blast. Wow. Right? Damn, that would be so much. All right. Okay. All right, never kid mind. part two, baby. The kid part two. <laughs> the kids, kids, kid. Man. Uh, so David oh Ortiz, by the numbers, he led all of baseball in doubles one time his last season in MLB, which is pretty funny. Led the AL in home runs once. Led the AL in RBIs three times, in walks twice, in on base once. In slugging and OPS twice, both his last season in the league. Actually, he led all of baseball in those two stats, his last season in in the league. Led in uh, AL in total bases once and intentional walks three times. So really not a lot of bolded ink on his page, but it's it's just remarkably consistent, as we mentioned with with lifetime stats. Um, He never had an OPS under a hundred barring a 10 game season in 1999, which, uh, fuck who cares? Um, yeah, his, his batting average, which, you know, say what you want, uh, only was below 250 for a season twice. And again, one of them was in 2001 where he played 89 games for the twins. So it's like, man, again, who, who cares? And he finished with an over 300 batting average. Fuck one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times in his career. Um, uh, although one of them is a 15 game season in 97. So uh, seven times in his career, really, including his again, including his final season in 2006, 2016. So uh, it's just a, it's just a great career. Yeah. Hey, he should be a Hall of Famer. Yeah, they should consider that. Mm hmm. Put some good, Maybe long, someday. hard, hard thoughts in into that. Um, yeah. So the uh, Hall of Fame stats, which again are stats we don't normally talk about when we look at players, because it's really something that only comes up and means anything when we get to um, Hall of Fame voting. So his black ink, which is represented by um, Again, the bolded numbers on a baseball reference page. His black ink is 25. It does not mean he has 25 um, 
bolded numbers, it means that the the like a point system attributed to each different stat has totaled up to 25. So like if you led in home runs once, that's worth more than leading in uh, strikeouts once. Because guess what? Strikeouts aren't good. And home runs are really good. Really? So, yeah. yeah. Go figure. So his blacking is 25. Average Hall of Famer is 27. So right there. Uh, his gray ink, which is um, it's like black ink, but it uh, also counts top 10. So, you know, if you finished second in a season in batting average, your your stat wouldn't be bolded because you finished second, not first. But gray ink will count that because that's finishing second is still really fucking good. Um, so his gray ink is 161, whereas the average Hall of Famer is 144. So, again, right fucking in line. Uh, and then some other stats that I kind of forget all the ins and outs of Hall of Fame monitor. I don't know what that means, uh, but it was 171. And the average Hall of Famer is 100. This is apparently a Bill James creation. I don't know, nor care. Um, Hall of Fame standards. I don't know what that means either. And his jaws is. uh, uh, Oh, shit. This is actually a lot more. 45.3. There it is. Which is, um, again, it's like it's like a version of war. It has its own thing. I don't really care. Yeah, that's David Ortiz. Shout out to you, Mr. Ortiz. He got shot. Two years ago. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, he got shot like several times two years ago and is 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 made a not just a great recovery, is fucking living it living it up. It's great to see. Good for yeah. you, Mr. Ortiz. Way to be. Way to be, Professor Ortiz. Doc Dr. Ortiz. Anyway, so uh that leads us to and now that we had a nice lengthy discussion about David Ortiz and all the things that surround um <laughs> Uh, high priestess Ortiz. Uh, <laughs> there, there's, there's, there's four guys that fell off Hall of Fame voting this year, and they are Barry Bonds, who finished this year with 66% of the vote, Roger Clemens, 65.2, Kurt Schilling, 58.6, and Sammy Sosa at 18.5 have all officially fallen off the, uh, the ballot this year. Now, they are going to be eligible for the Hall of Fame once again next year. Granted, it'll be by the modern day committee. So it's an entirely different process that we will not be privy to. Um, at least in the same way that we're used to with the regular Hall of Fame voting, which is to a certain limited extent and um, kind of loosey-goosey. But they are still eligible in a, in a different context, but they did not make it. Uh, so what do you think? We've talked about this a lot, but now that they're officially off the ballot, you know, what do you think? Yeah. Um, at least for Clemens and Bonds, I mean, I, I think that their on-field talent just outweighs any negativity, negative press, negative accusations that they could have off the field. Um, the great and mighty Jeff Passan has, the, I think, the right view of it, where to him it's the Hall of Fame is – like the telling of the history of the game and you can't tell the history of the game without Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds. And so there shouldn't be any reason to not include them. Steroids were a part of the game for so long. You can't really hold them out just because of that. And I agree with that a lot. Well, and it's also another point that has been brought up several times 
over the course of this entire conversation in the past few months. Um, steroids really is the legacy of Bud Selig. Steroids should not be considered the legacy of Bonds or Clemens or Ortiz or any of these guys. Because really, if if they had retired in 2002 or, you know, their, their careers started in, in 2005 or some shit, we wouldn't be having these conversations. The only reason we're having these conversations is because of Bud Selig and because of the timing of when he decided to do this. That's it. If Bonds hung up his cleats in 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 02, he would still be a Hall of Famer. Nothing would have changed. And to be honest, nothing should be changed by the fact that, you know, he retired in 07 after the Mitchell report and all this other shit. Because, again, it's an arbitrary year that Bud Selig decided to start trying to, to make something happen because he let something get out of control to whatever extent it did in his sport under his eye. And Bud Selig got into the Hall of Fame. How does Bud Selig make the Hall of Fame after allowing this type of thing to happen? But Bonds and Clemens and guys of their ilk get knocked for it when all they did was exist in the environment that he created. Because it's an old boys club. And there it is. Yeah. I don't know how else you'd want to put it. <laughs> the way it is. Yeah. Oh, boy. Tear sports down. We need to start over. Uh, at least, yeah, change the systems of power. I mean, this is just, it's it, its lunacy that the man who orchestrated the demise of of that era of baseball and, and caused a congressional investigation. Again, you can't blame the players for it. If, the, if no one's actually enforcing any, any rules and there's a way to get a competitive edge, people are going to fucking do it. That that's it. You can't bring a uh, a, a college level uh, or, or high base high high school level of uh, metal bat to a, a rec softball league. So so don't. But guess what? No one checks. No one cares. I see those bats get thrown out all the time. I, I, that's fucking life, baby. We're playing rec softball that I paid to be here for. People still cheat. It's up to you to decide how much you care about it. And Butsy only cared about it when it was convenient to him for him to do so and allowed that type of shit to happen. It's on him. Yeah. And uh, you know what? I think he should be guillotined. Yeah. Let, let him eat cake, bitch. So no one got in. No one got in this round. Just- can we just refer to Bud Selig as Marie Antoinette from now on? Classic Marie. Classic Marie Antoinette. Uh, all right. People who made their first appearance on the ballot and then fell off. Um, Joe Nathan with 4.3% of the ballot. Tim Hudson actually survived Joe one year. Uh, close, but no cigar. Uh, mm. Tim Hudson, was, this was actually his second year, and then he fell off. He got 3%. Uh, I'm going to skip a couple names because they're interesting. Jonathan Papelbon fell off. He got five votes. Justin Murnau got five votes. AJ Pajinski got two. Prince Fielder. Prince Fielder fell off. Wow. Uh, he got two. 
Jake Peavy and Carl Crawford both got zero. They also fell off the ballot. Uh, and then some interesting names, just real quick. Tim Lincecum fell off. He got nine votes, but did not survive the first round and their first year. And Tim Lincecum is, is kind of an interesting case because he finishes his career with 19.5 war, which is not very much. He played the bare minimum 10 seasons in the league and, and I really like the bare minimum. But the, the peak he had was so wild. I really wondered if he'd meet the 5% and kind of squeak onto next year's ballot. But uh, not so. Are you, uh, I don't know, what did you think? Um, pretty indifferent. Okay. That's yeah. fair. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Howard fell off the ballot in his first year of being on it. Which would be wild if you told me that in like 2009, 2010. And then he just kind of didn't do anything for years after that. And he was one of those guys where it's like his, yeah, his defense sucks, but his bat's so good. If he can just, you know, maybe make it to an AL team to DH or uh, just keep it up with the bat, he can really, you know, he can, he can, figure it out and he got hurt a bunch and he just never he just never really got back to any any form of his old self when he won rookie of the year and mvp in back-to-back seasons and so it's weird to see him with only 14.7 career war like tim lincecum has more war than him that's so weird Mm -hmm. um but he uh yeah he falls off in his first year it is amazing how bright of a star he was that burned out just immediately just immediate supernova it's over yeah um which which brings me to another interesting guy who fell out of the ballot in his first year like with a comically small number of votes and that is mark Teixeira. fell off the ballot with two fewer votes than than ryan howard and ryan howard 14.7 career war Mark Teixeira, 50.6. Sorry, I, I missed everything you just said. because I just Mark Teixeira okay. fell off the ballot with fewer votes than Ryan Howard, and he had 35 more war in his career than Ryan Howard did. He had 50 war in his career. Um, kind of wild. Think I, yeah, I think I can only chalk that up to... Mark Teixeira being just like the wet blanket of a hated New York Yankees team for so long. And nobody remembers his career outside of the Yankees. And by nobody, I mean me. Uh, but I, I, he played for like four other teams. <laughs> right. But I only ever remember him in pinstripes. He played for the Rangers. Yeah, it was the Rangers and then the Braves and then the Angels and then the Yankees. Yeah, I don't remember any of that. That's fine. Uh, and it's like, you know what? That, that's fine enough. Uh, you know, he doesn't have a, a ton of black ink either, but he does have three All-Stars, five gold gloves, a World Series win, and three silver sluggers. Um, and yeah, yeah, first base position. And it's yeah. like, you know, all the, the stats here aren't like yeah. eye-popping. No, 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 I'm, I'm not trying to make a, a case for his Hall of Fame, uh, I don't know, in, induction. 
But I'm trying to say it's weird that he fell off with what one percent of the vote. Yeah, like, I mean, like, it's I think a lot of it shit. as well comes down to the fact that he was sharing a ballot with Eric Bonds and Roger Clemens and a lot of guys who do have serious cases for the Hall of Fame. And by comparison, it's just not there. Which, again, in, in a binary sense, I, I also probably don't think Mark Teixeira is a Hall of Famer. It's just so weird to see, like, Omar Vizquel. Jimmy Rollins is still on the ballot. Like, Jimmy Jimmy Rollins got, um, in his first year, he got 9.4% of the vote. And Jimmy Rollins was a great player. He actually has an MVP and, you know, won his World Series with, with the Phillies. But he has a, a, a lower career OPS plus than... Mark Teixeira and and less career war than Mark Teixeira. And I'm not trying to, again, I'm not trying to say both these guys should make the Hall of Fame. One should make the Hall of Fame over the other. Neither of them should make the Hall of Fame, whatever. I'm just saying it seems so odd from the voters perspective that, you know, like Jimmy Rollins would get about 10% and Teixeira will get six votes. It's just so weird how they pick and choose these guys. But again, whatever. Uh, So that's this year's ballot. A quick look, as we did last year, a quick look into next year's ballot just to get some some new names. Now the top vote getter from last year that will appear on next year's ballot will be Scott Rowland. Uh, last year, this past year, I should say, he got 63.2% of the ballot. That's the most of anybody who will be appearing on the 2023 ballot. Uh, and our first year, guys, there's, oh my God, there's a lot. Uh, all right, we'll start with the bottom up because, boy, howdy, who cares about this? Uh, uh, Jason Grilly. Stop me when you when you hear a name, you know. <laughs> Jason Grilly, Chad Qualls, Glenn Perkins. That's not a real name. Uh, Jonathan Broxton, Adam Lind, Joe Blanton, Houston Street, who actually is a reliever. That name I know. Um, Joaquin Benoit. Actually, a lot of these guys are relievers. That makes sense. Uh, Stephen Drew, I'm Andre Ethier. Joaquin Benoit is the greatest name I've ever heard. You know what? Actually, we need to revisit Joaquin Benoit because that name is absolutely fantastic. That is an unbelievable 80 grade name. And not like Joaquin funny, Benoit. like, oh, this is like so ridiculous. It's great. Just like, I want to be named Joaquin Benoit. That is so fucking good. It's funny. It's registering to me how many of these dudes I don't recall because these are this is a lot of relief pitchers. It's going to be really interesting to see how they're handled in the voting process. But yes, Uh, Joaquin Benoit, amazing name. He is not a scrawny French white man. No, he is a Dominican man. Yes, he is. Yeah, I was hoping for just like someone either straight out of like Quebec or just like an uber French, like curly mustache, just. Uh, oh, who's the guy who played through the athletics with that kind of mustache? Of um, uh, Raleigh Fingers? Yeah. There's also a guy who's played more recently, but I think also played for the athletics. But regardless, uh, Andre Ethier, who it's weird that he only has 21.5 career war. I really would have bet it was more than that, but whatever. Uh, Francisco Rodriguez, Ubaldo Jimenez, Carlos Ruiz. Eric Abar, 
R.A. Dickey, who, man, it feels like he retired more than only five years ago. I am actually shocked he's only just now appearing on the ballot, but he's there. He'll be an interesting story. I'm not sure he'll be an interesting case. Uh, Bronson Arroyo, Aaron Hill, Mike Napoli, J.J. Hardy, Jason Wirth, who's now been retired for five years. Again, weird. Uh, Johnny Peralta, Matt Kane, Jacoby Ellsbury. Jared Weaver, and then here's the, the the top two in terms of war that will be appearing for the first time on the ballot, and that is John Lackey, a man that we always confuse for John Lester, because uh, why wouldn't you, if we're being honest here? Um, they're the same guy. And Carlos Beltran. So not a super strong list of names, to be honest. Um, I think but- R.A. Right, Dickey should make it, and if Jacoby Ellsbury does, I will burn everything down he's not making it jacoby wouldn't make it um all right he'll be an interesting story it'll be interesting to see how the relievers are handled i'm not sure i care about any of them in particularly houston street might might have the best case there just because of all the saves um and then it'll be interesting to see how they handle carlos beltran whose latter part of his career was marred in controversy but again it's i'm i'm just not sure how much that matters but whatever whatever so, yeah, that's next year's ballot. All right, so now that we finally got that out of the way, because it's been weeks since that's happened, um, in more immediate news, MLB uh, earlier this week sought to request a federal mediator in their CBA negotiations. They claimed that they were not getting anywhere with the MLBPA and wanted to uh, elicit some outside help in order to advance the process forward. Now, uh a few days ago, the latter part of this week, MLBPA rejected that request uh, because, well, MLB has not actually given a proposal to the MLBPA yet to review or deny. So really what this essentially is, is the MLBPA has made several proposals and offers to the MLB, to MLB, and MLB has responded with absolutely nothing. The reason the negotiations have been breaking down between the two sides is because while the MLBPA has been putting forward proposals and and uh, made concessions, uh, uh, bartering against no one, uh, the MLB side of things have not actually given or issued any response at all. And so really what it feels like for this, nego- this, this federal mediator that they requested is a PR stunt because they knew that the MLBPA would reject it and make them look like the assholes, which... I don't think it's been very effective for at least our generation of fans, but uh, what have you made of of this latest debacle? I mean, I'm scared of a federal mediator coming in and basically the U S government trying to decide between a multi-billion dollar, uh, essentially corporation, um, league of corporations and a union, uh, that just doesn't seem like it's uh, set up for success uh, from the players union side. But I also just don't see how the MLB can argue that they've been negotiating in good faith at any point. It's just almost been unilaterally just trying to fuck the players out of 
any leverage and just offering embarrassingly and just just insultingly low offers without any attempt to actually progress through negotiations. Yeah, and that's been the thing. We have we have talked about things that MLB would potentially propose on this show a few times. They actually haven't formally proposed anything to the MLBPA. They have not issued a proposal to the MLBPA at all. So that would really like I don't think that on MLB side, they actually wanted to have the federal mediator come in because even with whatever corporate biases a federal mediator may or may not have, who knows? MLB hasn't even actually issued a proposal. A mediator would immediately call you out as being the guy who done fucked up. And what a mediator would do is set a timetable. Federal mediation isn't just deciding who was right and who was wrong. It is also creating a structure for negotiations that require both parties to be timely in their response. And if you do not respond in time per the mediator's, you know, instruction, then you have entered into a legal like uh, contract almost to abide by whatever the mediator decides with one single argument put forward, which would be the MLBPA's negotiation. At least this is what I recall from my business law class in college. <laughs> but for real, I really don't think MLB would have wanted a federal mediator. I get MLBPA's denial of it because it's a PR tactic and you don't want to risk anything not going your way. But I, at, at this juncture with MLB having put absolutely nothing forward and the MLBPA actually trying to work in good faith, MLB would be idiots. I think mediation the difference between mediation on arbitration is the mediator's decision isn't legally binding oh you know what i might be thinking of arbitration i'm thinking i am thinking of arbitration damn you business law from 2014 don't age yourself (laughs) (laughs) oh no you're i am thinking of arbitration not mediation arbitration would be great that would be great for the for the MLBPA because again, the time that factor would be to it. unbelievable for the MLBPA. But it's it's wild still, just because again, I don't know what the MLB side of it wants out of it because wants out of any continual continuing, um, I guess, press on the matter because they're the ones who instituted the lockout. If, if spring train doesn't start on time, it's because apparently ML, the MLBPA has even said, like, we will negotiate through spring training. But there can't be spring training if there's a lockout. So who's stopping pitchers and catchers from reporting? Is it, it ain't the players. Oh, God. I just... The, the most frustrating aspect is everyone involved can look at this situation and clearly see, oh, you're the assholes. You're the ones at fault. You're the one just perpetuating this nonsense and just doing everything possible to fuck over your players and take advantage of them. And just because they're saying, no, it's not us. We're doing everything we can. No one can do anything. 
And it's also been frustrating from from a media sense because the the press that you often do see on the matter that that doesn't come from you know like the players themselves or, or you know podcasts that interview the players whatever um, has oftentimes been like why don't both sides just come together or you know both sides are holding this up or you know very much so both sides in the issue which is so colossally ill informed I, I, but it, it dominates. In a in a media sense, because the 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 feeling of ownership, I'm sure, goes very far to the point that these types of headlines or article coverages have to be, you know, dampened a little bit in how aggressive they're going to be towards the ownership side of things. But that's really where both sides have come together in many meetings so far. It's just that one side came to talk and the other side sit, came to go say, came to say, go fuck yourself. Jesus Christ. So, uh, and. It, it has led to a, a great frustration in myself with a, a lot of media coverage around the business side of baseball, which is always bad. But I felt as though it was improving at least a little bit these past this past year with more advanced coverage of, of the, the difficult living conditions of, of minor leaguers. Like maybe we were finally getting a more uh, correct. I don't want to say balance because that, that doesn't even seem like the right word, a more correct uh viewpoint of, of the labor side of the economics of the game but instead still we're getting this why don't they both just figure it out and it's like uh because one side has been telling them to go shove sand up their ass for the last two months mm-hmm. oh i've just i kind of you know we all want baseball to come back we do i really would not mind if they drag this lockout out as long as they possibly can just so that if we do it now and we work to get a proper what's the term um, result from this and actually make progress it will absolutely be worth it and I just hope the players who they do seem to be just have the patience to sit this through i uh, i'm just i'm curious to see what the end game is i know we talked about this uh, a few months ago but it's fuck you it's the infinity war is what it feels like but you know the owners and the players clashed in the 2020 season about pay and that lasted months you know we talked about at the time we've talked about it since about how owners wanted to prorate players salaries because it was going to be a shortened season due to figuring out COVID protocols and then on top of the prorating of salary they also wanted them to take like a 30 percent pay cut or whatever it was it was a a, a non-insignificant number on top of prorating the salary which already meant that you were getting less than a full year's pay because they were going to pay you again only for the number of games not for your yearly contract worth and the players said, we'll prorate our salaries. Sure, that seems fair, but we're not going to take a pay cut on top of that because that's stupid. You guys sign contracts. Like, you guys have to live up to the contracts. And the MLB and MLB, like, they stonewalled on that for months. The MLB season could have started almost on time and instead didn't start that year until, what, fucking August, right? And I, I don't know why they think the players are going to have any less fortitude right now with significantly more on the table than just taking pay cuts or not taking pay cuts. 
there's a lot that goes into CBA negotiations that's more than just pay, which is what a lot of, you know, dumb people on social media want to want to make it sound like, you know, with millionaires and billionaires arguing against each other, whatever. Um, it's, a, it's a lot more than that. It's the future of, of, of the sport. It really is. And so if MLB thinks the players are going to have any less, any less fortitude now than they did two years ago, especially with, you know, changing labor conditions and market conditions, boy, I think they're in for a rude awakening. We'll see. Hopefully by October. What do you think this, the minimum amount of games is to still have a postseason? 60? Five. Five games. A single five-game series? You you play – you uh, no. I, Ooh, I, I, 32 or 30-team bracket, single-game elimination. With- no, because that's just a postseason. So what I'm saying is I, I actually changed my, my answer. It, it, it's four. You play all the teams in your division once, and uh, whoever does the best makes the postseason. Okay. One game only, though. No, 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 no series. It's just okay. Yeah. yeah. That would be really cool to see how you manage like your pitching of like, all right, we got our ace to go up against, you know, the Yankees and against the Orioles. We're just going to throw out a couple of relievers. So we'll, we'll make it through. That's fine. We're going to, we're going to sign the bullpen coach to a, to a one day contract. Yeah. <laughs> Um, fuck, it doesn't matter, whatever. So, we'll we'll keep tabs on this as we go forward, as we always do with these types of things. Um, we've been going for a while, but there's one one other thing I, I we wrote down in the chat to talk about before we wrapped up, and that was Roger Goodell made a comment, um, this past week in, in, in the wake of the Brian Flores racial discrimination suit, and that is that he acknowledged that the diversity in coaching in the NFL is unacceptable because uh, once again, how kind of, how could, how could you not? Uh, there's one guy, there's, there's, there's one black coach. And I, I think like two non-white coaches in the NFL. And that is, that is it. And it is, pretty wild to see that type of recognition of the reality of your situation while also preparing yourself to argue in court about how it's it it it's not racial though of course not why would it be, why would it be? it's weird to see Goodell has been in a very weird spot these past few years from his own doing I don't want anyone to think I'm trying to elicit sympathy for Roger Goodell this is all his own fault um, where he has wanted to be, or at least wanted to be seen as being proactive with certain things, with CTE and brain damage, with race relations via Colin Kaepernick or in the wake of Colin Kaepernick, uh, wanting to see tough on rules while also being very arbitrary with them, like with Deflategate, with, 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 with Brady and with the taunting penalties. But again, it's always been... Here's how I want to be seen. Here's what I want to do. With the CTE stuff, he was like, we want to get to the bottom of this. And then when a report came out that said football was bad for your brain, he was like, oh, let's just tuck that under the rug. Uh, and 
when he wanted to look tough on on rules and like you know they weren't giving Brady everything he wanted he said the footballs were too were too big man and uh, suspended him for four games but also relaxed certain other rules while then increasing taunting penalties after they rolled back taunting penalties because he wants to be like he he's been in and out of everything and it seems like it's happening again but it's just so disheartening to see and I, I understand that the world is a shitty place and, and you know, it, I, I do get it. I, I understand. But it is so disheartening to see someone acknowledge the very failures of the system that they've created, but not acknowledge that the system is working kind of as intended and re- leading to those results. It, there's not a, a it's not a big head scratcher. <laughs> Why there's not more black head coaches in the NFL. And the reason is because they don't they the owners don't want them. Uh, that that's it. Because if 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 they wanted more black head coaches in the NFL, they would they would hire more black head coaches. There, there's very few things you can tell a billionaire not to do. Jeff Bezos is demolishing a bridge to fit his yacht. There's very few things you can tell a billionaire that they can't do. Um, because guess what? They 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 can, they will, and they very oftentimes do. And and regardless so regardless of that even legality. Right, right. They'll they'll make it they'll make it work. And um to see the acknowledgement of the situation, but not of the reality of the system is very disheartening and uh, annoying. <sighs> can we fire, I almost said Bussy, like, can we fire Rob Manfred? Can we fire Roger Goodell? And accept um Adam Silver as just the commissioner of all sports all sport commissioner no I I really think that because I've been marinating on it over the past few days I'm I'm, I'm almost seasoned to perfection over here <laughs> and I really think that it has to come down to a change in what we consider ownership of an NFL team we've given far too much agency to it I really think at this point if you're going to own a team it has to be more of a blind trust situation than it does a, a voting member of a board We've gotten nowhere with that. Absolutely nowhere. Because if ownership was, I own the team on paper and have zero decision-making capability, then a commissioner's job would actually almost mean something. Because if that was it, and if I'm the owner of the Texas Rangers and I decide I don't like what Manfred is doing, like if Manfred was, was, was like, Players were doing whatever you want to do. Like I am with the players, MLBPA put a proposal on my desk and I will sign it. If that was Rob Manfred and I'm the owner of like the Texas Rangers. And I was like, I fucking hate what you're doing, Manfred. These players ain't, ain't shit. Fuck them up the butt forever. Uh, instead of being able to tell Manfred that and making him stop, which, you know, Manfred is beholden to the owners in this situation, maybe more of like a, a silent ownership blind trust situation, whatever the, the right corporate term is for that. Um, your option would be just suck it up and deal with the fact that your profits are going to go up every year, no matter what you do or sell the team. And I really don't think mm-hmm. that like, we talk a lot of time, a lot of times about turnover in positions on, on the, on the field, having a bunch of quarterbacks in a, in a bunch of, a bunch of years, a bunch of different managers or head coaches in a bunch of different years, a bunch of GMs in a bunch of different years. And those are all valid. Having a bunch of owners in a bunch of different years, 
I'm not sure is going to matter half as much. Um, sure, it might in certain certain circumstances, like signing players and free agents and, and whatnot. But if we're talking about the the, the grand scheme of things, the f- the long term future of, of the game as a whole, rather than the short term immediacy of who you're going to be signing in free agency, I don't think it's going to matter that much. I could be wrong. Probably am. But owning well, a team I mean, is a status symbol. We're wrong about most things, and yeah, I mean, that's I think. Jeff Bezos wants to buy a team. That's pretty much the only reason, right? He doesn't give a shit about sports. I guess no. mostly because he can and doesn't really have anything else to spend his money on other than going to Oh, no, he has lots of things he could spend his money on. It's just that it usually involves helping the poor. <laughs> okay, yeah. Got yeah. me there. Well, could I, could I build like 60 schools or could I go buy the Dolphins? I'll buy the Dolphins. What what country is that bridge in that he wants to tear down for like a hundred million dollars? I want to say it was like Norway or some shit. It felt yeah. Scandinavians or yeah. Norway should just be like it's going to cost us a hundred million dollars to tear down this bridge and put it back together when you're done. Um, we're going to charge you a billion, so that if we do this, we can pay for a bunch of other things. And seeing as you don't give a shit regardless, neither should we. I just want to know how the yacht got there. Oh no, my yacht's stuck in the water. <laughs> oh boy. Whoops. It, honestly, I could just see Jeff Bezos at some point just being like, well, yeah, write that one off. Let's go get a new one. What would you think of the idea of public ownership of teams? Uh, the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> I don't, I don't even mean necessarily in the way that the Packers are publicly owned where it's like you own a stake in it. I mean, like, it's run by, by the, like, a local municipality. City. Yeah. Um, boy, take it out of the hands of billionaires and put it in the hands of politicians. That's, that's, that's <laughs> the thing. That's why I, I didn't put that as my first option because it's like, oh, misappropriation of city funds feels so eminent. But at least at least with this, we can like specifically hate on, you know, Dan Snyder or the Ross owners or fucking whoever the specific owner is. There's someone held accountable. If they go into the hands of just politicians, they become one, a political pawn and two, almost no accountability whatsoever long term when, okay, I'm elected to six more years of office let's just you know short everything or whatever and i just think that's set up for even worse failures i i disagree it would be even worse because i don't think it would be because uh i would imagine because really all it would be is the appropriation of city funds instead of personal funds, but that's where I think it would get more difficult. Like I don't think that the the shittiness factor would be much worse from the people who make decisions where owners make decisions versus politicians make decisions because really, uh, you know, I actually might have modicum more faith in certain municipalities rather than the owners who govern the teams within those municipalities. But I think the real issue would be over funding because you wouldn't want the city to fund the team. I would just rather them have the ability to, you know, 
bargain or be beholden upon somebody else because right. that's the, the the Yankees $200 million payroll coming from a guy is significantly more palatable than $200 million coming out of the city of New York's budget. That That is the real issue for having municipalities run it, but it, it's also <laughs> that's why, again, that's why I was throwing it out there as a B option instead of the A option, which is you can own the team, but you just you have to shut the fuck up. Uh, sorry, guys. The Giants can't sign star free agent Aaron Donald because they need to new funding to the NYPD police budget. Sorry. Isn't that budget already a billion dollars? Yeah. Would you believe they need to replace all the 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 soda machines? Okay. Can you believe they need? It's a two hundred million dollar soda machine NYPD budget racket. Don't don't ask where the money's. Stop looking where the money's going. Billy, it's going Billy to soda machines. There. Billy Bean is the new commissioner of the NYPD, and his first change of business is the fucking New York City government has to stock all the soda machines. Look, just because it's it's it, <laughs> what is what is more refreshing after a, a day putting your life on the line and then coming back to a nice cool can of Wolf Cola. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, nice Fanta orange soda to really just ease me into my afternoon life-beating activities. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it'll be stocked full of Frank's fluids. I, uh, I was driving with my significant other the other day, and uh, we drove past a cop that was in a parking lot, a packed parking lot, uh, where we were trying to stop for Chipotle. And he was taking a four spaces and i just drove past him trying to find a place to park saw that he was taking up four parking spaces and was just like fucking piece of shit like and then you keyed the car mini rant and she was like why do you like hate all cops so much oh it's very easy and there's a quantifiable and, and statistical reasons to do so and like she like was getting upset that like i just vehemently just blindly hate police officers and was just I was like, I can't start this fight with you because I don't have all the receipts on me and I can't I can't start a fight over defending the police department because I still want you to be my significant other tomorrow. <laughs> can't do that. Yeah, there's many, many quantifiable reasons to hate the police department. My uncle's a cop. Uh, Josh, if you want to, if you want to send me some uh, some documentation so I could put together a nice PowerPoint presentation, uh, I have to go enjoy. Really my appreciate day. it. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. Uh, but yeah, so just to loop it all back, I guess Roger Goodell is out here talking to owners about, and it, it feels like the beginning of um, whatever the opposite of an exodus is. Is it a genesis? That doesn't feel right. Sorry, Bible. Um, but and and we apologizing for the Bible. Fuck the Bible. Eh, fuck police like fuck the bible well <laughs> i i like all the 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 cute little tours and all the 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 big fun arcs and all the nice little synagogues that's what i like <laughs> they're all handwritten and they're all adorable and i love them i like seeing their their pretty little costumes on the tours it's a lot of fun y'all don't know what i'm saying you're missing out <laughs> just just saying so in that respect it's like go go torah boo bible but whatever um <laughs> It feels like like that statement is the beginning of a weird influx of, uh, hey, look, we hired more black guys. They're right over there. 
See, look, I can't be racist. I've got all those black friends. Um, because, it, you know, there's that level of feeling of signaling coming from this that, that feels very yucky, very yucky, little, little, little racist yucky in there. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I have no. Um, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll see what the continuation of this saga is. If, if NFL teams make any great adjustment to their hiring practices in the wake of this, because there is only in the wake of this at, at, at this point. There is no, we were going to do this anyway. We promise. Um, there is only in the wake of this. So, but we will see. Uh, anything else, Corbin, before we get out of here? No. No, All right. Well, if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at JuicingPod. If you'd like to send emails to the show, you can do so at JuicingTheNumbers at gmail.com. If you'd like to follow Corwin on Twitter, you can do so at Corwin Hollow. And if you'd like to follow myself on Twitter, you can do so at Josh McGee Tracy. And until Thursday, y'all have a good one. Bye.